personally, so we had troubles with our, our business bank accounts, um, but I personally also have had my, back in 2016, I think it was, uh, I had my personal HSBC account shut down um, just because I was a founder of a Bitcoin company. On today's show, we have a double header of sorts for you. Danny Scott is our guest. He's the co-founder and CEO of Coin Corner Limited. And we're talking to Danny to find out how they can help make Bitcoin easier for everyone to understand and buy. Then later on in the show, we're taking a trip to Leeds to talk to Stuart Clark, who is the director of the Leeds Digital Festival, which is going on at the moment and next week. So loads of interest there, not just for the North, but far beyond, as you will find out. Anyway, this is Tech Talks. It's your twice weekly tech podcast featuring interviews with leaders from across the industry and bringing you a bit of technology news. Joining me on today's show, as ever, we have a quiche. Hello, how are how you? How you doing? Good, thank you, mate. Very, very You probably good. thought you were going to get a break from doing this podcast with, you know, the UK beginning to return to normal. And now we're taking several steps back, mate. And Yeah, several, several you know, steps back. And it feels like we've also gone back a few seasons as well today. Um, yeah, can, also, we, can, we, can, I, can I get you to sign a contract with the podcast for the next six months just to make sure you're locked in? <laughs> Secure the services. And also, I think when you did the interview, there must have been some good weather because you said sweltering London. And today I've got... I've literally got socks on, tracksuit, freezing, and I had the heating on last night and this morning, actually. I've got a little fan heater going right now, mate. Yeah, yeah. It is It is cold. It is cold. I, I was wearing my dressing gown, but I thought <laughs> I'd better take that off, given that you're going to be watching me on camera. Like, seen, why, why are you wearing a dressing you, gown at a quarter to four? I've, uh, yeah, I've seen you in far worse, let's be honest. Yeah, those, yeah those, but still... Those trainers last week, but um, yeah. Mate, those trainers are amazing. <laughs> yeah, go back to them again. Yeah, there they are. They're all right. But yeah, you look great in a t-shirt, mate. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Like, yeah, slippers on, slippers on, fan heater, dressing gown just hung up for when we get off this call. I'll put it back on. Like, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Today's interview is with Danny Scott. Danny Scott is the CEO and co-founder of Coin Corner. So we're going to be talking all about Bitcoin and how they are making Bitcoin more accessible. We will dive straight into the interview. And then when we come back, myself and Akish will have some comments on it. And then later on in today's show, instead of a news section, we are talking to Stuart Clark, who's the festival director for the Leeds Digital Festival. So lots to look forward to. We'll hand over to the interview with Danny first, and then we'll be back shortly. So today we're talking to Danny Scott. Dan, Danny, you're the uh, CEO and co-founder of Coin Corner. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, David. Thank you for having me on. Not a problem. I'm quite jealous of the fact that you're on an island in the middle of the sea and not sweltering in London. <laughs> we, we do have it lucky at the minute. It's good. Look, very quickly, before we get into anything else, who are Coin Corner? Uh, so Coin Corner, we're a UK Bitcoin exchange. Uh, we were founded in 2014, um, <clears throat> always with the aim to make Bitcoin easy um, and allow new people outside the industry to come on and effectively buy Bitcoin uh, with a, a nice, easy on-ramp keeping it as quick and simple as possible and um, we mm -hmm. do strive to to make that our aim and we generally i think now have uh, customers registering and purchasing bitcoin our average time is just under nine minutes so it was ready what 2014 were you always on the isle of man or was that something that's happened further uh, we, yes we as a company were always on the isle of man um i myself i'm uh, from across um in the blackpool direction um but i came across here uh, nine years ago um, and kind of fell into 
uh, a crowd over here that we kind of got together and there was quite a few Bitcoin enthusiasts, so we ended up um, mining for a little bit previously. Um, yep. And then eventually uh, 2014 came on to creating a Bitcoin exchange, mainly because it was just very, very difficult in the UK at the time to actually find somebody somewhere, a trusted platform, should we say, that was nice and easy to purchase Bitcoin. So how did you get into Bitcoin? Because look, 2014... Um, I imagine most people are familiar with the term Bitcoin. They've probably got a fairly high level understanding of what it is. But, but this is six years later when it's been in the press a hell of a lot. Yeah. 2014, that's certainly not the case. No, um, I think I actually um, kind of keep this as short as possible for my uh, history piece um, as such. But uh, I heard about Bitcoin in 2009. So Bitcoin was created in January 2009. Um I heard about it while I was at university, um, and about March, April 2009, um, had a little delve into it, but didn't really do too much. I kind of left it at that point, and I carried on finishing my degree, uh, went out there into the real world, got a job, um, and kind of ignored it for a year or two. Um, and then it was about 2011, it kind of popped back up again, um, started paying attention, seeing it in the news. There was a, it, we kind of potentially looked at using it in a company I was working for. Um, that never really went ahead, but after we, after I left that company, um, I then went back to you know looking at Bitcoin again, uh, which was sort of 2012-13, and we began myself and one of the co-founders began mining um, in his garage uh, for a little bit of uh, time there, which was um, a real, a very good sort of educational experience around what Bitcoin is and how it works, which was really good from a technical perspective. Um, it wasn't really until 20. 14, sort of early 2014, mining became um, not particularly uh, attractive to, so let's say, UK um, people due to the, the cost of the electric. Um, obviously, around the world, you can mine anywhere around the world. So people mine in Iceland, even in the US and in China, where you know, electricity is much cheaper than the UK, unfortunately. Um, so we hit a kind of a roadblock at that point with the mining side. Um, but we were both software developers by trade, so we decided to uh, jump back onto the software development side, but stay within the, the industry, uh, which is where the exchange piece came. Um, so we built an exchange and launched that in um, July 2014. Was it difficult to get buy-in and commitment from the Bitcoin community back then? Because my understanding, and this might be wrong, is that really up until fairly recently, it was quite a hardcore group of people who really were, really were massively invested in this as, a, as an interesting piece of technology and also a payment <coughs> system rather than, you know, myself or, or number, another, another member of the public. So I'd imagine that they were quite demanding about what they would want from an exchange and, and what they felt it should do. Yeah, I think we struggled more from the um, banking side and the regulatory side, and we struggled with that over the years. Very early on, it was um, incredibly difficult to get um, a bank account for you know any business. And in the UK, generally, having a bank account is just... A natural thing it's just something you get when you create a bank uh, when you create a company sorry um <clears throat> but um we struggled and having a uk bank account became a competitive advantage uh we actually ended up banking for you know three or four years or four years in uh, eastern europe hong kong and further afield and some places uh, because we couldn't get access to uk banking um so we did face some very very tough challenges along the way um, regulatory front as well similar challenges um fortunately with us being the Alan man um, they're a small uh, jurisdiction, so they was able to be very reactive in the way that um, we kind of needed in terms of a 
incubation sort of, sort of environment, shall we say, um, and we worked with them closely with the Financial Services Authority over here um, to create uh, some guidance around Bitcoin companies. Um, that eventually did lead us on to uh, gaining a little bit of a better banking relationship, having something around us, so it did work a little bit in our favour there. Look, it's quite interesting. Why why was it that banking was difficult? Was it to do with the perception of Bitcoin? Was it to do with... It was, why, why why is it hard? Yeah, so from the banking perspective, you know, going back to, funnily enough, back in 2013 when we were mining, um, we got the banking relationship um, not too bad, fairly straightforward, because at the time they didn't really understand what Bitcoin was, none of them really heard of it. We were just telling you know, it's a digital currency and they just see it as um, tokens in a game, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So they kind of went with it, but then I think as the um, some of the perception in the media started to, to crop up, so you had the Silk Road days and the Mount Gox issues and things like that, that then started to really disrupt the, the banking relationships for us um, in the industry. Um, at that point, it, it was more of a, you know, they, it's brand new, they didn't quite understand it, they saw it potentially being used by criminals, they didn't want any involvement. Um, there's different angles that people can say, I'm not going to be a conspiracist and, and say that it was all down to anti-competitiveness. Um, but a lot of it, I think there was a combination of anti-competitiveness from the banks. There was a combination of, of that plus um, the unknown. Um, and even at the known level, it was still a risk appetite for them, effectively. Um, so, you know, I personally, so we had troubles with our, our business bank accounts. Um, but I personally also have had my, back in 2016, I think it was, uh, I had my personal HSBC account shut down um, just because I was a founder of a Bitcoin company. Um, so I, I was nothing to do with, obviously, what I was doing through the account or anything like that. It was purely the association. Um, so I have to put that down to, I guess, risk appetite from the banks um, and thinking, you know, they may potentially have to put higher um, AML checks on me, for example, because they weren't sure mm. how Bitcoin worked and what it was doing. And that just was, I just wasn't worth it as a customer issue. And that's why the... You know, get rid of you. Do you see a change in the perception around it? Maybe, I don't know whether it's from banks or from, from the public, but during the pandemic, it kind of feels like cash is this dirty thing, right? Yeah. yeah you don't, no, no, shops aren't taking it. Certainly, I don't know what it's like where you are, but in, in London, many shops aren't taking cash yeah. because it's been handled, etc. But you can't, you kind of need cash. So I suppose it strengthens the user case, perhaps, for a digital currency. And there's there's examples, I think, of countries that are beginning to look at kind of creating their own token that wouldn't have interest attached to it to kind of take the place of of of, of cash. Is this is this a challenge? Is this an opportunity for currencies like Bitcoin? I suppose to say, why create your own national token? Why not? adopt what's already there yeah yeah i think so yeah we, the perception has definitely changed i think since the, the march um crisis or the obviously the coronavirus crisis plus the, the march financial crisis the, the crash on march 12th i think it was now um <clears throat> it's changed the perception not only from i think uh, as you mentioned there the whole cashless society potentially i know there's cashless society has been driven in quite a few countries around north of sweden is it they are very much cashless um and another uk is trying to move that direction anyway so it kind of fits a, a perfect time in there for Bitcoin to start coming in as an option. Um, obviously, that comes with various headaches of volatility. There's always a, a question around the Bitcoin aspect. And, um, you know, if the Bank of England did a digital currency, for example, they would have that pinned against the GBP sterling. So they would um, have that effectively non-volatile as such. Um, so there is a, 
there's an opportunity, I guess, for the, the Bank of England and for other um, central banks around the world to create their own currency. Um, I completely agree from one perspective, you can then, exactly what you're saying in your argument there, you know, why recreate the, or reinvent the wheel when Bitcoin's already out there. Um, I think it, it's going to be very much a country by country basis. Um, and I think more people, especially in our sector, would probably see Bitcoin as less a national currency, but more a global reserve currency. Um, so as people, I guess, see the US dollar at the minute as this global reserve currency, I think Bitcoin will be seen more and used more as, as that from um, that perspective, I think. Do you see a, a kind of an uptake then in people using the, the, the platform from a consumer point of view, people who are interested in Bitcoin, maybe they're now going, you know what, this this might be an opportune moment to start to to do more than just read about it? Yeah, I think um, having seen, I guess, we, we went through the 2017 period, uh, which was, I guess, we class as one of the biggest bull runs um, within the Bitcoin sector. I think a lot of people came into Bitcoin or come into Bitcoin as well from an investment perspective to try and make money on it. Um, so it's not always used as this pay-to-pay currency that it was initially uh, envisioned as. Um, that's, I guess, one of the sort of the pieces of Bitcoin that I find very attractive and I find very um, positive in the manner of we see <clears throat> Bitcoin as initially set out to be this digital pay-to-pay currency. Over time, that's adapted and changed as technology does over time. Uh, and that's become something that it's because of the decentralized nature of it. People don't really have, it's not one thing. It can be many things to many people where we see people seeing it as an investment, see people using it as a payment method, so as a currency, um, see people using it as a remittance product. Um, we're seeing people use it as a store of value um, because their you know, their currency may be too volatile, even for, for Bitcoin's uh, sort of representation. Um, so because there is a variety of use cases for it, um, people end up coming in for their own reasons. Um, and yes, we've especially around the times of the, the, the March crisis, for example, uh, we saw a 20, uh, month-on-month increases, was roughly about 20% month-on-month increases in sign-ups um, over that March, April, May, June periods. Uh, we're still seeing increases now, so we're still ongoing with that as well. Um, so that March time period, kind of from an investment perspective and a store of value uh, perspective, similar to, um, I guess, the gold angle, so treating it more as a safe haven asset, um, that gave it more credibility. We saw a lot of people, you know, with the price plummeting along with um, stock prices and gold prices and everything around that time um, in March. But since March, it's recovered, and we're, uh, you know, it was a four thousand dollar region. It, it plummeted to at one point, and we're up at about twelve thousand dollars today. So we're three x on, on what it was. How damaging for Bitcoin was that bull market? Because you talk there about investing. <clears throat> Yeah. To me, it's always, so for example, I have a pension which is in a high interest, kind of a high risk um, uh, portfolio at the moment. Yeah. The idea, of course, being that you might lose some money along the way, but hopefully kind of 30 years down the line, you're going to end up with more money than you put in. Yeah. And I suppose to me, Bitcoin has always felt like that. I, I always thought that if I did put money into it now and left it alone for 20 years, I'd probably found that I'd made a bit of money, but it was a long-term investment. But did that bull market and the way that the price kind of ran away for a short period of time make people think that it was something that they could trade and kind of like a commodity on much more of a short-term basis? <clears throat> um, yeah, it, it, it certainly did. I think 
a big part of it as well. I know there's certain platforms now trading and buying stocks and, and shares is much easier now than it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and that side that you do get a lot of retail market as such coming in and, and trying to trade and trying to um, make short term money. Um, and unfortunately, that you know there is a lot of them, and there is a lot of them that will get burned. And during 2017, there was a lot of them that came in at that point, um, and they came in, I guess, a lot of the time, seeing it as a get rich quick scheme um, side of things, because you know they did see some people get rich um, off the back of it, and they thought you know they wanted to jump on and do the same. Um, so we do. It's one of the things I always say to people when they're saying, you know, it's now the time to buy Bitcoin and to invest and so on. Um, and it's been the same mentality throughout the whole. Um, time of coin corner effectively the way i've approached that is you know why are you buying it what are you trying to achieve if it's an investment perspective what are you trying to re retrieve back from that what's the outcome you're expecting you're expecting to put a thousand pound in and become a millionaire then you know don't it's, don't consider that it's not sort of a, a consideration such um if you're looking to do it as as you mentioned there a long-term investment where you keep buying a little bit each time and, and you're building up so it's like a pension for example um then you know myself and I guess a lot of people in our industry see that as um, a great use case of, of um, Bitcoin there. Some of the some of the user cases that you're talking about there are quite kind of general. I mean, is there anything that is very specific that someone can get their head around? We class Bitcoin as this layer one piece of technology, we call it. And there's this um, future vision that, or future vision that um, we see layer two and layer three and layer four on top of it. They get built on top, similar to talking about the internet there and the layers that get built on top of this foundation technology. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things we've seen at the minute is something called a Lightning Network. And the Lightning Network is a payment system for Bitcoin effectively. So this is to allow, to allow instant payments to be transacted all around the world, um, and they, they cost fractions of a penny, they cost next to nothing. Um, so that's now, that's only been out for about two and a half years now, and that's slowly becoming the payment rail, shall we say, uh, which will be used more in e-commerce on websites, um, and even in shop and things like that in, in shops. Um, so what that's created is this layer two um, piece of technology, so we call it. And on the back of that already, only to like two years in now for the Lightning Network, and we're seeing actually things being built on the Lightning Network as almost layer three, should we call it. So one example of this is um, try and keep it more real world. So you know you go on an, you go on Amazon for example, um, you go on shopping on Amazon, you add the product to your cart and you can then pay, put your credit card details in, uh, put your delivery address details in, click pay. You know, they record your credit card details and store them in the database. They record your delivery details and store them in the database on, on some server. What um, somebody's built on the Lightning Network is something called the um, LTV shop, um, and that allows, effectively, you create a Lightning Amazon. So this Lightning Amazon is an e-commerce shop that you can buy your products, and when you come to pay, you pay with the Lightning Network and you pay with the Lightning Invoice, which is just scanning the QR code. And when you scan the QR code, you pay it, it's a press of the button, you would then put your address, your delivery details in on your app, and you would press pay. It pays the amount, passes over the details via the Lightning Network, and at that side, at the Amazon shop side, um, they don't have to all of a sudden store any of your card details, they don't have to store your name, your address, they don't have to store anything. Everything is, is encrypted and, and kept securely on the Lightning Network. Um, now, this takes away, going into a little bit more technical, you've got like the things in the credit card processing world where you've got PCI compliance. Um, all of a sudden, that's removing the whole necessity of PCI compliance, which is a big tech burden. 
Um, and you're also removing the need for storing customer details or even having customer accounts and things like that on, on your system, on your database. I suppose I can see how it's good for the organizations in as much as there's perhaps less architecture needed, but at the same time, they probably want that data. I can see how it's great for the consumer when you're in a, a situation like we are now where uh, f- fraud and attacks, phishing attacks, etc., are going through the roof. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think the, the big positive from the consumer perspective is they don't need to have their data stored at any of these merchants, any of these companies. Um, so that's card details, even email addresses, passwords, usernames, um, you know, all of that information that now generally, um, you know, hacks are just part of the internet these days, um, unfortunately. Um, and they will continue to be um, in the foreseeable future. Um, so this is the sort of innovation that's now coming off the back of, of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network to, to hopefully start creating a new internet effectively, um, which is a, a safer, shall we say, internet. So look, if someone's interested in exploring Coin Corner, maybe kind of interested in an investment or or kind of playing around with the with the with the exchange, where do they go? Um, CoinCorner.com. Um, yeah. So we'll be there. Um, always find us on uh, quite a few of us on Twitter. So we're all quite vocal on Twitter. So if you need any help, you can always come and get us there. Uh, generally, I'm, I'm Coin Corner Danny. Uh, there's Coin Corner Molly. There's Matt, Zach, um, and the rest of the team there are all there available to answer questions. Perfect. Well, look, thank you for your time. Um, I will imagine that given the warm weather, you might be able to get down to the beach later. So I'm not going to kind of fixate on that too much because that's not happening in central London. But uh, (laughs) enjoy the rest of your week and and thanks for giving up some time to talk to us on the pod. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. I have never bought or sold anything with Bitcoin. Yep. Um, and the more I learn about it, the more I go, this is really interesting. But I, I yeah. kind of like I kind of feel like Bitcoin is this really interesting thing um, from like a massive economic monetary finance system. Yeah. And like there's a ma- with COVID and with a move away from cash, there's a massive conversation to be had around the role of central bank banks. And you know, China obviously launching a a kind of halfway house digital currency. Facebook are talking about Libra. And I know this is specifically Bitcoin, but it's all kind of interrelated, this move towards digital currencies. I feel like that's a massive piece that I kind of have opinions about. But when it comes down to me and my and money in my pocket, hmm. I still feel quite distant from it. And I don't know yeah. how you feel. Yeah, even I'm, listening to this and even talking to people in the industry. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm, I'm the same as you, to be honest. So, I mean, we're, we're both from the same school of thought, really. But... I've never, I've yeah, I've never bought, sold. I've never even had kind of any any, um, you know, uh, kind of the e currency type, you know, whether mm. it's Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, Ethereum, I think it's called. Um, yeah, you got Ethereum, you got Ripple, you've yeah, got, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I've I've never really been in that, and and I think part of it has been because I've just not been sure. Um, and as people that probably listen to this a bit more regularly, you know, I only up until a few weeks ago or a few months ago got myself a, a revolute kind of card right so I, I'm, I'm i'm a little bit slow in terms of getting on to things um but do i do i think that there's a need now more so than ever before for for you know um currency like bitcoin absolutely um hmm. especially with different ways of buying especially with people not necessarily having you know banking details or online banks we've we already talked on the show about you know the big conglomerates or the big banks and and you know the, the the difficulties that people have some people don't even have a bank account you know access to, to money that sort of thing i think with bitcoin and <clears throat> and what 
um, you know, kind of coin corner are doing. They're just making it accessible and, and that exchange, you know, being set up under their umbrella, which means mere mortals like me and you, yeah. we can go and, you know, purchase Bitcoin really. Um, from and I definitely, I, you know, the one thing that I would say that Danny has me utterly convinced on and listening and talking to someone like Danny um, and also Danny Brewster, who we've had on the show several months ago, maybe a year or so ago now, what people like that help give me confidence around is the idea that I could invest long-term in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Danny Scott and Coin Corner make that case that this is a long-term thing for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I get that. I think on a day-to-day basis, like if I Google Bitcoin right now, and I think this is quite interesting, right? Because you could go and find a, a, a podcast that, that is a cryptocurrency-specific podcast that talks about this with real expertise. I kind of feel like we are the everyday layman's kind of going, huh? Uh, you know, talking yeah. to people at, at, at Coin Corner and beginning to get our head around it and maybe speaking for 99% of the country. But yeah. you, you go on, to, you go on to, to Google and you go, well, hang on a minute. Let's just type in Bitcoin. And the first thing that comes up is one Bitcoin equals 8,156 pounds and 55 pence as of now. So one bit, you know, one Bitcoin is not something that you can use yeah. in a shop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite a big barrier to everyday use because you're talking about Satoshis and you're talking about tiny, tiny, tiny numbers with with in, with just ridiculous decimal places to yeah. be able to understand what the price of a can of beer or a pizza is. Hmm. And I think until that changes, yeah, then everyday use of it is going to be quite challenging for people. Yeah, no, of course. But then also at the same point, <clears throat> about a year and a half ago or two years, um, uh, you know, obviously they had that massive boom. Can we call it that? Where I think one yeah. Bitcoin, I think the highest it went to was about 10 grand or, or something like that, right? So people that had invested into it already and like you mentioned the patience game that was a chance for them to to cash in the rewards right because i think the I, I remember it going mad i mean I know, I know there's a few people in our office that you know are very much into kind of the bitcoin and, and all these kind of currencies and, and you know what have you and i remember there's just a buzz in the office you know um around kind of the, the price of it what was happening it was going up you know on a daily basis um, a few people, you know, I, I know that that sold it. Um, I was telling you about my flatmate in my first year of uni who, you know, basically came round when we were about three weeks in into Freshers Week, playing FIFA, as you do in the living room. And uh, he comes in and goes, guys, there's this thing called Bitcoin. And there's this, you know, currency and you do this. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of using pretty much all of my student loan uh, to, to buy loads of Bitcoins. And he did that for the whole year and he would go on about it. And at that point, about 11 years ago, we're thinking, hang on, mate, do you know what I mean? You're just, you're, you're talking absolute potty. I don't know what you're on about. Um, and lo and behold, I still still kind of speak to him and, and got him on Instagram and all that sort of thing. Uh, he did he did really, really well when, um, when the price went high and... Uh, yeah, now he's got a few few uh, island kind of villas and dri- drives around in the, a Porsche, Ferrari, um, and you know parties with um, models in bikinis. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, maybe I should have listened to him. I don't know. Um, but yeah, did, I don't. Did, did importantly though, did you win FIFA? 
now it's bad at that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is, that is the other thing, right? When people get excited about it, and there was a massive buzz in the office, mm. I kind of think, well, it's kind of come and gone, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm too yeah. late to the party here. Yeah. Maybe we're not with Bitcoin. Maybe we're not. Maybe that can come around again. We may be those people. I, I don't know, but... I think, well, I maybe think, maybe not to that extent, but maybe if you were to go, you know what, I'm going to put a th- I'm going to put a thousand pounds, and I'm just going to forget about it yeah. for the next ten years. Mm, mm. You could find that that thousand pounds becomes ten thousand pounds or twenty thousand pounds. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that is unrealistic. And certainly, listening to people like Danny and, and Coin Corner, I kind mm. of think that's a fairly safe bet. And the mm. more that you see that, you know. Uh, that did that that digital currencies are causing a rethink for central banks. Mm. You know, the G thirty are arguing that if central banks want to shape the outcome uh, of, of 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 the future economy post COVID, they need to move fast. And they've got some real problems at the moment. You know, dollar dominance um, is not just about how currency is is used. It's about the systems, how they how transactions are cleared and. And in China and in Europe in particular, there, uh, sorry, in China in particular rather, but in Europe as well, there is a growing desire to change the status quo. You know, central banks can take three distinct approaches to what's going on. They can either make significant improvements to the existing system, they can reduce fees with credit and debit cards, or they can ensure universal financial inclusion and upgrade systems so that digital payments are clear in an instant and not on a day. And underpinning all of that change is digital currency. And Bitcoin, you know, it's been around for 11 years. It's fairly stable in terms of digital currencies. I mean, some of the purists would argue that they don't, that they want it to remain separate because the whole point of it is that it's not under the auspice kind of direction of, of one mm. of the central banks. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I, th- I think there's so much more that can be used and utilized and done with the, the kind of e-currencies, you know, and, and, and that platform. I think also the banks definitely have got one eye on it and have have had for the last few years. Mm. Um, I just think with people like Coin Corner, they're making it easy for for people like us to 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 buy to get involved. Um, and also, I think the security and regulate like the regulatory aspect has has always been a question that I've always asked. You know, um, if I was to put X amount, let's say a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds away, what are the chances that it's not just some sort of offshore you know, scam or fraud and that's it. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think with them being a little bit regulated, them being a little bit more kind of under the spotlight, um, I think it will help. And I don't know. I hope it comes around again. I, 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 I'm seriously considering kind of investing into it. I don't know about you, but, you know. Yeah, no. I, 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 w- I would be tempted. 100% would be tempted. Um, and mate, FIFA, FIFA hasn't worked for you. You're not an esports champion. FIFA, nah, nah, nothing bad really choice. Works, really. Bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, on that podcasting, mate. I don't know if that's yeah, yeah. Either. Yeah, well, you got six, you got six months more. You're locked in. See how it yeah. goes. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> right, Danny. Thank you for being our guest. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, as I said, I'm talking to Stuart Clark, uh, the digital, the sorry, the festival director for the Leeds Digital Festival. Uh, that is going on at the minute. It's also going on all next week. So find out why you might like to take a virtual trip up the A1 to Leeds. (laughs) 
So now we're quickly uh, going to chat to Stuart Clark, the festival director for the Leeds Digital Festival that's happening right now, started this week and is going on as well next week. So you've got plenty of opportunity on the back of listening to this podcast uh, from the 28th through to the 2nd of October to get yourselves along to uh, virtually along to a number of events around the festival. But before you make that decision why not hear from Stuart about what the Leeds Digital Festival is all about well it Leeds Digital Festival it's uh, it's an open platform festival that runs usually usually in April each year we've been going five years and uh, and it really is uh, a case of anybody can come along and put an event on you know we don't put the events on ourselves we just put the, the, the platform so you know we have events from coding to fintech to health tech to careers uh, across everything and and people who can get involved you know we have uh, events run by startups to some of the biggest uh, global tech giants and of course this year in april we were just about to launch uh, 250 physical events but of course with covid uh, we had to switch mm. to a, an online uh, a festival so we ended up with about 130 events in April and of course what we did we pushed all the physical events to September because of course all this thing was going to be over uh, yep. by sort of ju- <laughs> June or July and here we are so over these couple of weeks this week and next uh, we've got 294 events of which about 290 were planned as virtual events anyway and just to you know just, just to sort of four or five that we had planned as physical events in the last week or so they've gone virtual as well so it's accessible to anyone everywhere i'm gonna i'm gonna ask something that's slightly loaded um but regular listeners of the podcast will know that this comes from a kind place i i am from newcastle i am a massive advocate for tech being beyond just the bubble that is london and whilst i have lived and worked in london for my entire adult life uh i still count the northeast as home some people would tell me that that's inaccurate but i do mm. um and it's always great when we go when we go to businesses in in leeds and manchester and newcastle and liverpool and we hear about the success in regional parts of the uk but stuart what significance or role does the leeds digital festival play now when we feel like we're decoupling from physical environments well, I think a couple of things. It's interesting you say you still look on the the north as a home, and 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 you should, you know, regardless of how long you've you've been, you've been in London. And, and 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 just to go back to the reason why a bunch of us got together in a pub about six years ago to and to to come up with an idea of how we could make a bit more noise about tech in the north and how to collaborate better, and and that's why we came up with a festival because. There's a lot of really interesting and innovative stuff happening uh, across the north, from Newcastle to Leeds, Manchester, all over. Uh, so we felt we needed to shout a bit uh, about it a bit more. Um, and so over the last sort of five years, you know, we've put on about 800 events. So we've, you know, we've we've been able to give some of those really innovative people and companies a bit more airtime and get them in front of potential collaborators, potential customers and and potential staff as well. And to say, hey, look, we've got this amazing tech sector in the north. You don't have to go to London. Uh, so, you know, stay here and, and build your firm. And I think what, what the, the virtual side has done, it's it's made it easier to really push that message out. I mean, you know, over the years, we've had lots of delegations coming to Leeds from from Estonia, from China, from the Netherlands. 
But what we found in the in the virtual festival in April, we had delegate. Sorry, we had attendees from over fifty countries, you know, from Kazakhstan, Benin, the Philippines, and you know, nobody would come from Peru to to Leeds for a one hour uh, uh, webinar. But but now that global reach and what we found in in the festival this month. We've got something like 40-odd international companies actually taking part as speakers or event organisers. And we're already seeing this week people dialing in from Australia, from Mexico, from Morocco. So, again, it just really enables you know, the, the north of England to, to say globally, you know, we're here. There's some really incredible stuff going on. So come and join mm-hmm. in. If people do want to join in... Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you, you mentioned, from Australia, from Peru, from wherever they may be listening, hmm. how would they go about it? Uh, go online to our website. It's uh, it's leadsdigitalfestival.org, and you'll see the events page there, and you can look at the category. You look at If you're just interested in health tech, you look at the events there. If you're interested in careers, then there's plenty of events then. And it's and they say it's collaborative. There's so many companies taking part, putting on events or being speakers. Uh, and it's just, you know, there's, there's something for everyone. I'll make sure there's a, there's a link in the show notes for anyone interested. As I said at the beginning, we're, we're halfway through the festival. There's still another full week. But uh, look, as, as festival director, anything that stood out from the first week? Oh, well, well, everything. I mean, every every single event has <laughs> just, been, just been amazing. I mean, it's you know, as I say, it depends what, what you're into, into. But, you know, the things I've attended, like today, we've got a, a full-day Women in Leeds digital uh, conference going on with about 600 delegates. Uh, we, we had a really interesting event that was put on by the Embassy of Israel the other day, which is all about making art from data. Uh, local company uh, Crisp, which is, you know, has a global reach, they put a couple of great events on around uh, both machine learning and also about how brands are affected by some of the uh, social issues that are going on at the moment. So certainly everything. Uh, there really is something for everyone. Well, look, Stuart, thank you for your time. Uh, we'll, we will obviously hope that people do take the time to attend some events next week. And look, best of luck as festival director. I hope that the rest of the, uh, of the, of the festival goes as well as it can. Lovely. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for your time. <laughs>